to have you up here. This is this, yeah, I'm on. All right. Thank you all for coming tonight. It's so cool to see a lot of new faces, a lot of beautiful people, beautiful warriors in God's God's army, God's kingdom. <clears throat> um, a little over a year ago, I noticed something happening all around me. Everyone started to wear the same things and to talk about the same thing. And as I would go to my classes at school, I'd walk in and there'd be like 20 people in one class, all with these black baseball caps that said SF on them. And the Giants were on their way to the World Series, and the Bay Area was stoked. And everywhere I went, that's what people were talking about. Walk in the door, that's what was on TV. And I'm not a baseball fan because um, baseball is not exactly a sport. But we can talk about that. we can talk about that afterwards. We can, t- we can talk about that debate afterwards. I'm not. That's not out of the Bible or anything. I'm not claiming that as fact. I'm just saying. So. Nonetheless, nonetheless, it was a big deal. I mean, I, even I was, even I, you know, stooped to the point of entering into these conversations about the Giants and, and getting even a little bit excited about it. So it was, it was cool. But it was, it was a phenomenon. I mean, people were just really excited about this big game that was going on. And it kind of got, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a sociology major, and I'm, I'm really, I like to think about our society in patterns and, you know, the... <clears throat> the things that affect us as a society. And, and it really got me thinking about, you know, why is this? And we, I came to the you know, conclusion, this isn't original, but we live in a society that is based on performance. You know, you go, you're going to school, people ask, oh, how, how are you doing? How's your grades? You come back from a sports meet, oh, did you win? That's the first thing people want to know. How are you doing? How are you performing? Are you performing up to par? And we have a, a cultural belief in our society that when you, when you make it, when you're at the top, you must have done something. You must have performed and made it to the top. And if you're on the bottom, a lot of times we don't take into consideration a lot of the things that, that keep people down, but we just look and, you know, oh, they must have, you know, they must have messed up. They must have not cut it. <clears throat> and we're socialized in this way of thinking. And I think a lot of times we have a hard time separating that performance-based mentality from a lot of aspects of our lives. And I would even venture to say that a lot of people have a hard time separating this performance-based mentality from even their Christian walk. Now, how many of you know that Christianity is not performance-based? Right? Okay, yeah, uh, good. We got that far, that's good. Um, and I think, I think there's a lot of people who think it is. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who either straight up will tell you that they believe that, yes, it's performance-based. You know, I do do a bunch of good things and I get to heaven. I don't think they read their Bible too often. Uh, There's also people who who would acknowledge, you know, no, I I don't believe that my salvation is based on my performance. Yet, a lot of the things that they do and that they say would indicate to me that that's how they're living their life. They never graduated from under the law into a place of grace and into a place of freedom. Um, you know, they profess to believe, you know, yeah, God loves me without condition, and I have, I have a lot of favor. But in their heart, you know, when if, you know, they mess up, guilt is a natural thing. And yeah, we sin, we mess up, and we feel guilty. But a lot of people that I know just, just wallow in this guilt. And I've been there, and it's just like this, oh, woe, to, woe is me, woe to me. And just completely just um, berating themselves and feeling horrible if they mess up. And they're not running to God for forgiveness. They're not running to the Savior for, for saving and then when they're doing good, when they're when they're um, performing and when they're doing everything right, then it's like, ooh, you know, kind of cool, you know. Like I just 
preached a cool sermon and just led some cool worship, and I must be, you know, in good with God right now. God must be extra pleased with me. And when you're living in a lifestyle where when you're when you messed up, you think God is less pleased with you or less in love with you, and when in the same lifestyle you're stoked on yourself and you're you think that when you're walking 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 in the right steps that God is more stoked on you, God loves you more, that would indicate to me that there's a good chance you're trying to live in a works-based righteousness lifestyle. You're trying to judge yourself. You're, you're, you're looking at what God thinks of you through your lens of how you are doing. And your beliefs about how God sees you affect your beliefs about who God is and about yourself. <clears throat> Many people, I think, see God as a taskmaster and I don't know where this uh, belief came from. Maybe it, come, it came from misinterpretations of the Bible or the Old Testament or, or something. But a lot of people see God, I think, as a taskmaster. And they're trying to work and please Him and strive and just do everything on their own. And, um, you know, they, they're performing for God. Not just because out of pure love, but to, to gain something. It's because they feel like if they do that, they're... Um, you know, that maybe there's past sins or whatever uh, will be extra forgiven or, or they'll, God will be more pleased with them, grant them more favor. And, and it's kind of a selfish thing to do, really, if you think about it, to, to work to please God, um, to get in, in better with Him, you know? I think a lot of people do that if they see God as a, as a taskmaster. If you, if you think that God judges you based on your performance, then what happens when you're not performing? The Bible tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So if we're gonna if we're gonna think like that, if we're gonna think that you know God is is judging us based on our performance and judging us based on on how we do, then we're all pretty much in big trouble. And that was um, a big theme in the Old Testament when we were under the law. And um, if you base your beliefs on a God that judges you on your performance, then you're gonna have a very changing God. And we know that God does not change yesterday, today or tomorrow. So, if, if we can establish the fact that God doesn't judge us based on our performance and that God judges us based on His Son's performance, then you would also have to agree that if you judge yourself based on your performance, you're dishonoring God because you're disagreeing with your Creator on who He says you are. So we can't very well go and say, oh, God you know, loves me unconditionally and God you know has given me favor and God doesn't judge me on my performance and then go and judge other people and judge yourself on your performance because that's not consistent with who he is and what he's called us to so knowing what God thinks of you knowing who he says you are knowing your identity in your walk with God is I think one of the most important the most crucial things to search out and to seek and to understand it means everything. So tonight, I'm going to read us a, pas- a passage <clears throat> out of a book called Galatians. And it's a great passage. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, Galatians three twenty six through 4, 7. And I'll just give you a little background on what's happening here. While you guys turn there, if anyone brought their Bibles. Did anyone bring your Bibles? Nice, like three people. Sweet. Next time... Those are, those are good books. I'd recommend you get a copy and maybe bring it next week. Um, 
<laughs> Chris got his. So, basically, the Galatians uh, were... Galatia was a, a city, a place. And Paul... Paul's a, Paul's a crazy guy. I love Paul. And he goes there and he starts a church. And then he leaves to start a different church. And while he's gone, something happens that's not very cool. What happens is a bunch of false teachers come in to the place. And uh, they start teaching the law. And they start teaching people a works-based righteousness. Um, They're trying to sway the church into attaining their goal through their works. And they were trying to tell them that through circumcision they could, you know, get in better with God. And that not only that, but they could forego the persecution that would come uh, through man um, and be able to receive accolades from from uh, other non-believers, such as the Jews and, and the people around them. Um, and Paul is writing them to kind of chastise them and, and exhort them and say, no, look at this. You're not under the law. What's the whole thing that I preached to you this entire time? We are new creations in Christ. We have new identities. We're not under that anymore. We no longer have to sacrifice. We no longer have to strive on our own strength to attain this goal that's been given us. And this passage that I'm going to read is Paul and uh, writing to them, and he's talking to them about their identity as sons and daughters of God. So starting in verse 26, he says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Adam's Abraham's seed, excuse me, not Adam's seed, Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. Since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. So before Christ came, we were under this law. This law was set up by God through Moses because the Israelites and his people had proven themselves to be pretty disobedient and had um, walked out of the, the path that God had set for them, walked out of the guidelines. And it was a system of um, essentially performance. You had, you had to, to sacrifice. If you'd sin, you have to sacrifice to receive forgiveness for your sins. And it was kind of a perpetual you always had to be thinking about it, always had to be worrying about it, always had to be involved in this um, kind of uh, this renewal of, of your, your forgiveness through God. And it showed us that on our own strength, we simply don't have it. We can't be perfect. The law pointed out to us our faults, made us aware of how profoundly short of God's standards we fall. According to the law... You'd have to live a perfect life to receive any amount of, you know, uh, forgiveness and, and salvation. You have to be perfect to be to be in communion with God. And 
they had a system of sacrifices and a whole, a whole uh, ritual systems uh, to, to do all this stuff. And we, as his people, under that law, had to labor and we had to slave under this law, working. It, it was pointing out our mistakes. We had to sacrifice. We were essentially, as Paul says, slaves to the law. And it showed us our need for a Savior, which was prophesied throughout the entire Old Testament. Now, I believe that when God created us, he did not create us to live under a law and create us to live as a bunch of people, unholy, not set apart, sinning, striving for forgiveness, and walking under this law. He created us to be his righteous people, set apart, holy, loved by him, sons and daughters going out into the world, uh, proclaiming his news in communion with him, loving him, being loved by him. That's what we were created for. We weren't created to be under the system of labor and slavery to the law. That's not our identity. But that's where we were because of decisions that we'd made. Now, God did not want to keep us there. And a lot of people seem to stay there, even though they've been given an out. God wanted to see his children choose right for themselves and have an opportunity to be in communion with him and be loved by him and be in love with him and have a one-on-one personal amazing relationship with their Lord and Savior. So he sent his son to fulfill the law, under the law, to fulfill the law and free us from it. Jesus' death ended a performance-based system in a world that was failing to perform. To, To receive what would have taken a perfect life under the law, all we have to do now is call on the name of Jesus and have faith. And we have it. Galatians 3.11 says, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. They will live by faith. They will attain life through faith. So when you have faith, you become a son and a daughter. Your identity changes. And I think a big problem today is that many people accept the fact, yeah, I'm, I'm forgiven. I'm saved now that I, that I have you know, this, new, um, this, this new faith in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, un, I'm out from under that system. I'm, I'm forgiven. But they stop short of the fact, the most important fact, that they have a completely new identity. They're a new creation. They're not the same person they were. Not, they're, they're not just forgiven. So much more than simply forgiveness happens when we come into faith in Jesus Christ. So much more than just forgiveness. You're not even the same person. You're a new creation. This passage that I just read says that Christ, we clothe ourselves in Christ, and he comes into our hearts, and he cries out, Abba, Father. It's an inside-out and an outside-in change that completely renews us, transforms us, and makes us something completely different. And if we have Christ in us, and we have Christ all around us, then when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees what he saw when he looked at Christ Jesus on the cross. Your sins, your life is covered in the blood of the Lamb, and you are a new creation. The word he uses in this passage when he's talking about how um, but the time, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. The word he uses for son when he's referring to Jesus in the Greek is huios. And the word he uses for us when he's referring to us throughout the entire passage is huios. 
he doesn't make a distinction. He doesn't make a differentiation. When he looks at us, that's what he sees. His beloved sons and daughters. Jesus gave his life to stand in for yours. So that's what God sees when he looks at you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that we are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. When he looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He's removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. And there is no condemnation. Now that's not to say that we're perfect now and we can just go out and do whatever we want. This system, this, this renewal of our life happens because we have faith. And you know, with faith comes is love. And it wouldn't be very loving to God who just saved us to God and just disobey all his commands. If you're doing that, then it would indicate that you don't have faith and that you probably aren't saved. So, and just as uh, Jesus was, when he was talking to um, Peter, when he was washing his feet, Peter said, wash, wash my whole body. And Jesus said, no, a man who's been cleaned only needs to wash his feet. So we still need to come to the Lord, even after we're saved, and confess our sins and be meek and be humble and have our feet washed because we do walk in the sinful world and we do, uh, you know, have, have stuff that we have to deal with. We do sin. God knows that we sin. But we can come to him and have that washed off and that's not our identity. I'm not trying to say that we're perfect and that we don't sin. I'm trying to say that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ and that is sons and daughters of the king. Heirs is the word it uses. Possessors. And there's nothing you can do as a son or a daughter to make God love you more or to make God love you less. You have unmerited favor and the full rights of a son. To understand God's call on our life, we need to understand his perspective on who we are and who he's made us to be. Because if we're looking at our own life through our own perspective and we're seeing our sin, we're seeing the horrible things that we do, we're saying, God can't call me to that. I don't have that ability. I don't have that in me. But when God sees you, he's outside of time. He's outside of your life. He's, he has a broader perspective and he knows who he's made you. He knows he's called you to be a king and a priest, as it says in Revelation 5.10. He knows he's made you something new. And he knows that you are capable of what he's called you to through his power. So we need to, if we want to understand his calling on our life, we want to understand where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do, we need to understand how he sees us. And we need to put a stake in the ground. We need to adopt that identity as his son, as his daughter, as his beloved. Because until we do that, we're not going to get it. We're not going to get why he loves us so much. We're not going to get why he's put such big things in our life to conquer and to, to, to work with. God judges you on Jesus' performance, not yours. And he's a good, he's good, Jesus is good. So, what does it mean to be a son or a daughter of God? Like I've already said, we have, we are, we are now regarded as pure and set apart, a holy people unto the Lord. We still sin, but God can, can forgive that. And that's not who we are inside, that's not our identity. And we need to claim that, and we need to identify with that. And that's a harder thing to do than to just acknowledge. <clears throat> the fact that we're sons and daughters means that we're heirs and we're possessors, as it says in this passage. Now, what does that mean? What, is, what does it mean to be an heir and a possessor? Well, in the, in the story of the prodigal son, the, there's two sons. The older son uh, remained with his father and worked hard, did everything the father told him to do. And the younger son... Asked for his inheritance early and went off and squandered it in the big cities. 
with the party life. And he comes back to his father and and he he needs food and he's you know on the verge of starvation. He comes back to his father and he says, you know, if you only take me back, he's planning on saying, if you only take me back as a servant or as a slave, I'll work for your house just for some food. And his father sees him down the road and he runs to him. This guy's probably an old guy. He sprints to his son, puts gold on him and says, we're going to go barbecue some burgers for you with a fattened calf. I love you. You're back. Puts his favorite cloak on him. And he just completely showers him with unmerited favor and unconditional love. And that's a picture of our Father in heaven with us. We, we're saying like, oh man, God, like I suck. There's nothing I can do right. I keep messing up. I'm just in this guilty, guilty life. Maybe you'll just forgive me for this one thing. And he's saying, no, 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 no. I love you and I have such big things for you. Get, forget that stuff. I forgot that stuff a long time ago. I've removed that stuff from you. I want you to go out and do these big things with your life. I have plans for you. I have a calling on your life. And we're like, we got this narrow little view of like, oh crap, I, I did that right now. And he's like, well, what is that? I have so much more for you. And when we set our eyes upon the things that he has for us, and we're not looking at our own sin, we're not even thinking about it, and you'll find you'll probably sin less if you're looking at him, not yourself. So the other son, on the other hand, you know, he's... He's just as much of a son of the father. And he comes to his father and he says, you know, why, why haven't you thrown me a party? I've been here this entire time working for you and striving and, and doing everything you ever told me to do. And his father says, son, don't you know that all I have is yours? And that's what the father is saying to you tonight. Don't you know that you're my son or you're my daughter and all I have is yours? I've given you everything. I've given my spirit to live inside of you. I've given you supernatural supernatural abilities in my kingdom through me to go out and change the world. I've given you everything you need. I've provided for you. I've loved you. I've forgiven you. Everything I have is yours, son, daughter. Everything. And that's what God's saying to you. And so often, we just get so focused on our own life and our own sin and our own things that we have to deal with, and we don't realize the hugeness of His love and His favor on our lives. We've been given authority to be about our Father's business. And that's a big deal. Because our Father's business is the only thing that lasts through all eternity. And it makes a lasting impact. When you're out about your Father's business, with His power and His Spirit within you, which cries out, Abba, Father, you can do anything. And you can make ripples that last throughout eternity, that save souls for eternity through His power. And just as my father, Greg... His DNA flows through my veins and it gives me traits like his. I didn't get the height trait, but that's okay. I got other ones. Um, I'm not worried about it. But just as we have our parents' DNA in us that makes us like them, we, when we receive the Holy Spirit, He is flowing through us and within us, and it manifests traits that make us more like Him, that draw us closer to Him and help us to understand who He is and what He thinks about us and how much He loves us. That's awesome. So, for me personally, I, for a long time, um, I, I'd heard this message before, and I'd, you know, received it, and that's, you know, that's a great, that's great, that's awesome. Like, I totally get it. Cognitively, I got it, and I understood in my mind this unmerited favor and this amazing grace. That's what the whole song's about, is amazing grace. Um, and I got it in my mind, but it, it hadn't become a heart knowledge yet. It hadn't, it hadn't really changed my life. And so when I'd sin, like I was saying earlier, I would, I would get so focused on my own 
um, misdeeds, on my own sins, on my own flaws, and I would just get this looking down at myself, this narrow view of my own problems, and like just wallowing my guilt, and, and God, please forgive me, I'm so sorry I did this, I can't believe myself, and kind of berate myself. And then when I'd be doing good, when I would, you know, like I said, when I'd be uh, resisting temptation, I'd feel feel good about myself, like it was somehow me that was in the place of God, I guess, uh, helping me out. And that's that wasn't me. That was not me. And I came to this realization, and it, it was a vicious cycle that I would be in, that I would just like, I'd be focused on myself, I'd sin, I'd, I'd be so down on myself about it that it would lead me to, to more down that path, and I'd follow that path, and I wouldn't turn, take my eyes off myself and look to God who can take all of that away. The devil, he is called the accuser. That's one of his names because he accuses a lot. That's his main tactic. He will come and he will tell you, oh man, he will try to disqualify you. Try to tell you that you're not good enough. Try to tell you that you're not called or that if you are called, you're not good enough for the calling on your life. That's why he's called the accuser. He tries to make you disqualify yourself, actually. But it's not us. It's not our own actions. It's not ourselves that qualify us for God's work. It's God that qualifies us for his work. It's his calling on our life and it's his spirit that comes and dwells within us that takes us into that place of being able to walk in the spirit, hear his voice, move in power, and make a difference in the lives of everyone around us, in our schools and in our churches, everywhere we go. How many of you guys know that actually the churches, a lot of difference needs to be made in the churches? I'm not coming down in the churches. I love the churches, but there's a lot of good messages that the people could really use. So I came to understand my identity as a son in Christ, and it, it flipped my world upside down. I am no longer the same person as I once was. I know now that my identity is not as a sinner. I sin. I sometimes mess up. But that's not who I am. I'm a child of the Most High God. Royalty. So are every single one of you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He doesn't look on you as a Savior, a sinner. He doesn't look on the church as sinners. He looks on us as his pure bride. He says that a number of times in the scriptures. That's how he sees you. When he looks at you, that's what he sees. That's beautiful. So many people don't get that. I didn't get it for so long. I still don't sometimes. But that's what we need to train ourselves to think. We need to to renew our minds. Not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but renew our minds to, to believe this. We are not the same. When your identity is as a son or as a daughter, as the beloved of of Jesus, it changes your whole worldview. And you get this constant reminder of unmerited favor with God, and it becomes so much easier to approach God in his throne room and in the quiet place and come to him with your with your life and to put it in his hands. It becomes so much easier because no longer is he this taskmaster above you, wanting you to be perfect. Now he's your daddy. And he loves you. And he's willing to take that. That thing, those off those things off your hands, off your shoulders. He said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And there's still a yoke and there's still a burden. We still sin. We're still in a sinful world. But that's not who we are. And that's not all upon us and our shoulders. He's taken it. And he loves you. And that's why. God sees us as he saw Christ. And as we will be in the last day when we're ruling and reigning as kings and priests. 
And we need to take God's perspective on that, on who we are as his beloved sons and his beloved daughters. I'm going to ask Angel and the band to come up really quick. I know that was a short message, but I wasn't here to preach a long message. I was here to tell you that God loves you as a son or a daughter. And I'm going to pray um, right now that that reality, that fact, that truth will make itself real to our hearts tonight and that we'll be able to adopt that and train our minds and train our hearts to receive that truth for all that it is, for all that it's worth, which is everything. grace, Father God, the new life that we've been given through your Son, Father, for freeing us from the bondage of sin and of the law, from the slavery, the yoke which was placed upon our shoulders, Jesus. I pray that tonight, God, that we'd all be able to receive the truth, Father, that you love us as sons and daughters, that we have an inheritance, God. We are possessors. We possess your Spirit, God, within us, and we can go out and change the world, God that we would stop and, and cease looking down at ourselves and our own flaws and wallowing in guilt and wallowing in shame because that's not what you see, Father God. I pray that we'd be able to take your perspective tonight, God, on who we are and see ourselves as you see us, not, not as, as perfect beings without need for a Savior. No, God, we need you. We need you, God. Pray that tonight that, that would just become a reality in our spirits, Father God. That you would just touch us, Father God. That you'd fill us with that truth, Lord. And tonight we're going to come and we're going to worship you, Jesus, because you are so worth it. You are, you are worth all of the worship, all of the time that we can give and more. So God, I pray that as we stand tonight and declare your glory, as we stand tonight and declare your praise, that you would be honored, God, in your throne room. That you'd be blessed, Father God. That your name would be lifted high. precious name, Father God. Amen.